Welcome to Earth Voice. I'm your host, Elizabeth Claire Alberts. I feel like every day I've done something tangible. There is no one who's going to fight for these animals. They have to be protected. And you can make positive change happen. And it's time to speak up. You are those animals' hope. This second episode of Earth Voice takes us to Belule Nature Reserve, a small region of protected bush at the edge of Kruger National Park in South Africa. I traveled here in 2016 to spend time with the Black Mamba Anti-Poaching Unit, a group that works to protect local wildlife and is made up almost entirely of women. We'll hear from Black Mamba members Felicia Mohagon and Luane Mufala, as well as the founder of the group, Craig Spencer. So sit back and listen and enjoy the journey. At six in the morning, I get a ride to Belule Nature Reserve at the edge of Kruger National Park. The sun hasn't risen yet, but there's already movement at the camp. Two women dressed in army fatigues, Felicia Mohagon and Carol Kosa, emerge from their cabins to begin work for the day. Their job is to patrol the fence line that separates the reserve from the road and to check for anything suspicious. Holes in the fence, footprints, unusual animal tracks. When daybreak finally comes, Felicia and Carol, as well as their supervisor, Colin, begin their walk. And on this particular morning, I'm going with them. Felicia, Carol, and Colin are members of the Black Mamba Anti-Poaching Unit, a group that works to protect wildlife in South Africa from illegal poaching. But there are a couple things that make this group unique. For one, the majority of members are women. And two, they go out into the bush without carrying any guns. As we march along the fence line, I almost expect to find poachers hiding behind the trees and bushes. But poachers aren't the main concern for the mambas. It's the animals they're worried about, especially the big five, which includes lions, leopards, elephants, rhinos, and buffalo. Without weapons to protect themselves, encountering a big animal could be deadly. After only 10 minutes of walking, we cross paths with a huge bull elephant. Just saw an elephant. <laughs> so now what do we do? Let's go back so we can see My heart races as Colin rushes us back to a spot several meters from the elephant. And then we wait. Felicia says we might wait for a long time. Because we have to wait even if for an hour. Because you, when we come across an animal like um, elephant, elephant doesn't have a sign that now it is angry or what. Because if we, we can go now, 
we may find out it's uh, waiting for us to charge us. So we have to make sure if it's gone. How do you know when it's gone? We'll go and then we'll see when it's gone. <laughs> but we have, in some cases, we have to wait for some minutes to make sure. Because you can't just see the animal and then it runs away and then you think it's gone. Maybe it's going to come back again and charge. Yeah, because like buffaloes, it can run like it's scared of you. Meanwhile, it is coming back to charge you. You will think it's gone and then you'll follow where it's gone and then you'll come back and charge you. So it's like that. When we start walking again, the elephant is gone, but I'm much more alert now. I start listening more closely to sounds and looking for anything that might be the shape of an animal. After the patrol, I sit down with Craig Spencer, who founded the Black Mamba Anti-Poaching Unit, which is part of a larger organization called Transfrontier Africa. When Craig first came to work at Belule, he had no intention of doing anti-poaching work. A big part of my previous life had been in the anti-poaching arena down in the Western Cape. And I'd tried hard to get away from that because it's a different mindset, you know, and it's, it's a very militaristic uh, approach to dealing with conservation. And, uh, you know, you start losing a little bit of your humanity as well, some of the things that you have to do for the sake of conservation. So I tried to step out of that arena and came up here and all of our conservation projects were centered around ecological management, you know, fixing up waterholes, taking out the inappropriate ones, improving the carrying capacity of the reserve, human wildlife conflict issues, addressing those, dropping fences, range expansion, reintroduction of animals, so on and so on. But in 2012, Belule was hit with a major poaching crisis. We still hesitated to get involved again with anti-poaching or wildlife security, but then the rhinos started dropping. In about 2012, towards the end of 2012 and 2013, the rhinos were really taking a knock here, and they lost 19 rhinos, and the, the previous head warden actually asked if we would somehow use our previous expertise and our previous contracts and that to try and get back involved again. Craig could have simply sent out armed guards, but instead he tried a different approach. He established a unit of unarmed guards who'd create a visual presence in the reserve. They would be on the lookout for poachers, and poachers would hopefully be on the lookout for them and choose to stay away. There's 36 mambas, and they're covering my boundaries where I know the poachers can come in and where they have come in historically. And they are there purely to put up a visual presence, okay, which will deter the poacher from coming in. And uh, uh, early detection, if they see tracks or a cut fence or an old bottle lying in the bush that shouldn't be there or whatever, that's a sign. Okay, and the, the eyes and ears, they'll hear gunshots, they'll see a spotlight, they'll see a little cell phone light sneaking through the bush or whatever. That's their jobs, to detect the crime early enough so I can alert my little team of armed guards that can rush out and intercept those guys. If they hear or see anything suspicious, they call it into the Black Mamba's operation room. Once the information is verified, guards from a company called ProTrack will go into the reserves with guns to chase the poachers out. But to Craig, it's absolutely essential that the Mambas themselves don't carry guns. 
and that a non-violent approach is taken whenever possible. Now, our communities are quite small along our borders. They're little tribal communities. And if we keep shooting the fathers and the brothers and the husbands and what have you out there, we're going to sit with a huge social problem when the next warden takes over from me in Baluli. Then we're going to sit with a community full of orphans and widows and dissidents that hate the park. We're trying to close that gap. But every time we shoot one of their husbands or brothers or whatever it might be, we're just widening that gap even further. Not only does this keep the community safe, it also protects the Mambas. If they see my black Mambas marching up and down the boundaries and confronting them and my black Mambas are armed, then they are going to have to go back and say, okay, next time we come in here, who's got a 9mm pistol? Who's got an old AK-47 buried? Okay, I'll pay you a thousand bucks to come with me. Or, you know, instead of using this old rusty hunting rifle, I'm going to have to get me an old R1 assault rifle. Since the Black Mambas started patrolling Balule, very few rhinos have been poached. Craig believes this is proof that the system is working. You know, we don't lose rhinos where we have Black Mambas. We only lose rhinos where we don't have Black Mambas. So the model works. You know, imagine if I moved them out, then these would become the portals again. We deployed the Mambas where we had the problems. In 2013, Craig recruited the first six women to be part of the Black Mambas. Felicia, a young woman in her 20s, was one of the originals. When we first, when we first started the Black Mamba project, it was hard because we didn't have uniform, we didn't have sponsors, we didn't have people who believed in us. So we were walking in the bush with our own clothes, our own shoes. Felicia also had fears of going into the reserve. I was scared myself because I didn't know. I did know that here there was Big Five, but I didn't know what to expect. I know that lions, they can eat you. Elephant, they can kill you and stamp you. Felicia and the other Mambas were put through a rigorous training program so they knew what to do if they came across a poacher or a dangerous animal. But there have been some close calls. We were once chased. We went out and we doing our morning patrol, sweeping in the bush, and then this black rhino chased us, and then we ran. <laughs> And then it got away. Not only is the job dangerous, but the Mambas work long hours. Each shift lasts 21 days. After that, they get 10 days at home with their families. For Felicia, who has young children, this time commitment can be really challenging. I remember on when I left my, my second kid, it was three months. It was so hard for me. Because I was away from him, it I was, it was it was hard for me, but at the end of the day, just a phone call is better than nothing. I can say that because I have to work. Despite the difficulties, Felicia clearly loves her job, and she understands the importance of what she does. I've come to realize that there is no one who's going to fight for these animals. They have to be protected. It's part of my job. If I don't do it, who else will do it? She's also proud to be doing this job as a woman. People were saying that this job is for men and they were not believing in us. Everyone was just saying that they crazy. They won't do this because this job is for men. But we have proved them wrong because we are doing it. And we are women, we are not men. We are doing it. Oh, mama, last night I met a young man. Oh, mama, he turned to me and said, 
Craig and the Mambas do an excellent job at keeping the animals safe in Belule. But no matter how hard they work, poachers still manage to get into the reserve. The next day, Felicia, Carol, and Colin find something troubling. Carol calls it a poacher's kitchen. We're patrolling at Buffer Zone. And we're sweeping there. First of things, we found a, a kitchen there, an old kitchen. Then we do around three sixty meter sweeping around the at the kitchen. We find one nest at the tree and sweep around. We find the another snare set there and sweeping around we find the another snare. Then we were sweeping around there where there's a snare. We found a bedroom where poachers were sleep there with a bottle of beer, a bottle of cold drinks, the clothes. These poachers were probably hunting impala or antelope, but rhino poaching happens here too. And I'm reminded of this every time I step into the operations room. On the wall, there are graphic photos on display Rhinos covered in bullet holes and blood. Rhinos with half their faces missing. Poachers are mainly interested in getting rhinos' horns, which are highly valued in traditional Chinese medicine and can earn a poacher thousands upon thousands of dollars. Craig has come across some horrible scenes himself and he tells me a few stories. I have to warn you, what he says is a little hard to listen to. Sometimes we'll find a carcass that's not dead. They've hacked through the spine with an ax to keep it from running in circles or whatever whilst they take the horn off. If there's a calf with the animal, the calf will make noise and attract the anti-poaching guys. It was just irritating them because it's running around. It's, so they'll kill the calf as well. It's, uh, it's awful. You can find a rhino walking around without a face or you can find it lying there with the blood pumping out. There's a lot of... It's, it's very dehumanizing. If the rhinos are lucky, they'll die quickly. But this isn't usually what happens. Yeah, it'll stay alive until it dies of starvation or bleeds to death if it's, a, if it's an archery or something. But the worst is when the scavengers get onto them. A rhino that gets its face cut off tonight and it's still stumbling around with a few bullet holes in it. It's, it takes a lot to kill a rhino, okay, or even an elephant. It will wander around dazed and confused, dragging its back legs if its spine has been cut, then the scavengers will start eating it alive. Very unpleasant. If the rhino had a calf, that calf is left traumatized and defenseless and death typically follows. Sometimes we'll find a calf has been at a mother. If a rhino dies tonight and it has a calf and we only find the carcass tomorrow, that calf has been attacked by hyenas. It's still alive, but its tail has been chewed off and its ears have been chewed off and it's got holes in it where it's been half eaten alive because it can't defend itself. Its mother's dead. Its mother would do that job for it normally. Some orphan rhinos are able to be rescued and rehabilitated. 
In fact, Transfrontier Africa supports a local rhino orphanage called Rhino Revolution, which cares for babies who lost their parents to poaching. But sadly, these baby rhinos are still vulnerable to poaching, especially when they start growing horns. So the black mambas have to take turns guarding the orphanage. With all this talk of poaching, I really wanted to speak with a poacher myself. But finding one who talked to me was impossible. But I did get to sit down with Vince Barkas, co-founder of ProTrack. While the ProTrack guards will chase poachers with their guns, Vince has also tried some non-traditional methods to protect wildlife. I met a guy called Solly. I didn't meet him, we actually hunted him. Um, we couldn't catch him. And um, eventually we managed to locate his uncle. He set up a meeting with him and I took a warthog and some beers and I said to him, I want to speak to him, not as a poacher, but I want to come to an arrangement where he stops poaching. Um, and anyway, I left. He was very distrusting to the point the warthog I left, they fed to the dogs because they thought I'd put poison on it to kill them. I wanted to see if the dogs died first. There was no trust. A couple of weeks later, we met again. He said, all right, he won't poach in the areas I work as long as I don't come into his area kicking doors down looking to arrest poachers or people within his community. I said, okay, we will make a deal. We'll let it go for a month. Poaching dropped by 80%. When I did have a problem, I found Solly, and Solly would go speak in his community, and that sorted out. But Vince knows better than anyone that it's not always possible to get on speaking terms with poachers. And the armed guards do have to use force to protect animals. In fact, Vince believes that all guards, including the Black Mambas, will have to carry guns eventually. None of us want to see our guards go out and kill anybody. Um, we're all conservationists. It means we want to look after stuff, including people. But the bottom line is the poachers are getting more and more aggressive. We having more and more armed contacts where poachers are standing on the ground and shooting at our people. Um, so we've got to arm our guys with better weapons. I mean, up until 2010, all our work on all the reserves was done with a single shot shotgun. Now all our guys are armed with assault rifles, you know, military weapons. Um, we've had to make that upgrade for our guys to do their job and be safe in it, to be able to protect themselves. Living in that fairy tale world, fairy tale world of, oh, I don't want violence, I don't want my people to be murderers, that's over. We're being pushed into a corner where we're going to have to become murderers. You know, we're going to have to shoot back um, as these guys get more and more aggressive. If Vince is right, it sounded like the poaching situation was about to get a lot worse rather than better. Was it even possible to save rhinos and other animals in South Africa? Were poachers going to become more and more brazen and start shooting at the mambas? The situation felt a little overwhelming. But amidst the despair, there's an abundance of hope. I'm visiting a local school with Li Wei Mufala, a black mamba who runs an education program at several schools in the community. Those kids, the moment they see me walking in, it's 
heaven on earth. You know, you can see them doing yes. A teacher is there and you can see them in the classroom when you teach them in the classroom, how they like sit there and look at you. Wayne teaches the kids all kinds of things about conservation, like how to save water and recycle. She also teaches them how to behave around wild animals. This part surprises me, since the kids live right along the reserve. Wouldn't they already know these things? But Lee Wayne explains that most kids have very little understanding and experience with native wildlife. When they talk about a snake, that snake is going to kill me. When you talk about an elephant, that elephant is going to kill me. So everything to them, it's going to kill them. So what makes it nice for me to go into the classroom is to change that mindset when you tell them about the facts. Another thing Lee Wayne teaches is what happens if the black mambas catch you killing a protected animal. This is a particularly important lesson since many kids have family members who have tried to poach in the reserve. It's a very sensitive issue and we don't want them to feel like they are spies in the classroom. We want the kids to come there, learn what this whole poaching thing is about, and then they must take it back home and inform their parents. But Lee Wayne doesn't hide the gruesome facts of poaching from the kids. One of the first things she does is show them a picture of a slaughtered rhino. Where is it so, guys? Eh? What's painful? Why do you see that and you go? Hmm? Why are you hiding your face? Like we don't want to see. Eh? Guys, that is the reality, ne? That is what's happening. Ne? Look on over the middle of it. Can you see? Ne? That's what's happening. But for what? Why must this happen? Hmm? Why must our uncles and do this? Why? They want money. So why do your uncles or your fathers or your brothers, why don't they wake up in the morning and go and work? They want what? They want money. Yeah, money. they want money, they must go work. Because you know the dangers of going into a reserve to go and post. Do you know them? Hmm? You don't know? I will tell you, ne? When you're... Maybe I'm a draw for you. But I don't have a chalk. I get you guys don't, don't supply me with chalk every day. If your uncle or your father or your brother, they go into the reserve. You know those black members, anti-poaching ladies, I get the ones that come to the classroom and teach you, ne? You remember those ladies? If they come and they see Huru, your uncle or your father or your brother's tracks or the, the footprints, ne? they see Huru, they walk there. They're going to call the people who have the guns, again. And those people who have the guns, what are they going to do? They're going to come running, again Because they don't want to lose the rhinos, again. And then what they will do, if they catch your malume or your father or your uncle, they're going to shoot that person. Is that good or bad? The subject matter of the lesson is heavy, but the kids pay attention. They sit up straight in their chairs and respond to all of Lee Wayne's questions. Afterwards, I speak to a 12-year-old girl 
who's very enthusiastic about what they learned. And what made you decide to become a nature guardian? Because it's very important to take care of our environment. Many people here in South Africa don't mainly take care of their environment. They really don't know how. What do you like? What, what, what's your favorite animal? My favorite animal is giraffe. It's all like me. <laughs> so. Do you like rhinos? Yes, I like rhinos very much because they are our indigenous and like they make us who we are today. And many people are killing it and don't know why. The poaching crisis in South Africa is huge and serious. But change is happening. And the black mambas are playing a very important role. You know, I can just drive in that community and I'll hear somebody saying, hey, Lewayne. And I was like, okay, I don't know that person, but they know me because it's a parent of a student that I was teaching. And they're like, yeah, thank you so much, you know, for teaching them this. You know, I didn't know about this. So that's the kind of feedback that you get, that you can see that the child's behavior has changed. And the parent also is maybe in the process of going there or getting there. This audio story couldn't have been made without the help of many donors and supporters, including Russell and Beverly Lamb from Eco Down Under and Jacob Round of Round Sound Music. And a huge thank you to the Black Mamba team, which includes Craig Spencer, Amy Clark, William Hodgson, and Lee Wayne Mufala. If you'd like to learn more about the Black Mamba Anti-Poaching Unit, visit their website which you can find on the Earth Voice Facebook page. Thanks for listening. Now it's your turn to speak up.